Welcome to Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Woo! I just rode in on my horse. <laughs> I was going to say that was a drum roll, but it was... I was going to do another beatbox thing, and then I realized that sounded like a horse. It did. I saw someone... Right? It did. Shelly Mazzanobo is uh, uh, role-playing a horse today. I am your host, Greg Whoa. Tito. Whoa. I actually saw somebody with doing the uh, the coconut shells at PAX. They had, like, the whole, uh, um, you know, Monty Python, Search for the Holy Grail coconut shells thing. They're For what? Just their cosplay. They were like, what they were doing. Yeah, cool. and then you did the whole like slowing down, like like you know, doing it multiple times. I was like, oh, good job, oh, buddy. Yeah. yeah, I was huh. like, way to do an old school cosplay. Maybe People we don't do much get... of that. No. Yeah, like why comes no one doing like you know Princess Bride cosplay? I, I'm you know? surprised. Yeah, they should do it more. Yeah, they should. All right, shout out to people. I want to see some Wesley out there. All right. As you maybe wish. you you can give them a sticker or something. Or maybe I'll do it. Did you do that when you went to PAX? I gave out lots of stickers. Did you? Yeah, that was pretty much like my main who goal did, there. Who did to, you give stickers to? I gave stickers to. Uh, uh, I talked to a lot of YouTube people and streamers, um, and uh, uh, try to give the stickers to them so that they could give them out to to well, their peoples. So yeah. you had like subcontractors. And then I did the crazy thing of just like leaving stickers in in like hotel. <laughs> just all over like, like bathroom here stalls. they are you know grab them oh yeah yeah take them by the way Dungeons Dragons is cool here you go take a sticker put it on your laptop oh um, Did a lot of don't that. do that to your work laptops I was just given a friendly reminder oh really yeah whoops just saying my laptop is covered in them well so was mine but I got a new one and I got a friendly reminder BTW don't do that because oh, that really plunges the resale value Sticker goo is yeah. hard to remove. You know what you should do is put a magnet on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should mag- put my credit card, stick it to my computer with a magnet. <laughs> yeah. That would be cool. These are these are all good good advices that we give to our listeners on Dragon Talks. So, uh, Dungeons the Dragons. Speaking of. Yeah. <laughs> is an amazing uh, game, I've heard. Uh, and Tales of the Awning Portal is out now in stores. Uh, our latest product, it, uh, this, yeah, we're, we're future-proofing here. We have uh, Mike Merles here in the room, actually, as we speak. He's being very quiet. Oh, my God. I, I when did you ride him? Actually, it was weird. <laughs> I was coming in. I, I thought I heard a horse go by. <laughs> and I just I have a natural, overwhelming fear of, of horses. Are so you, I just do had to duck for cover. Yeah. No, actually. Oh, I do. You actually really? do have a fear You were horses? actually afraid of horses? I am. My, see, that's weird. My daughter loves horses. I know. I was a terrible little girl. Oh, wow. That, that's so like My Little Pony is just like. I like the My Little Ponies. Oh, so you're afraid of horses. It's very specific. Like a real horse. Like, see, oh, okay. like they're just they're enormous. It's just not the concept of horse. It's I an think, actual physical horse. No, I don't like being around an actual horse. I, I don't trust them. So did you have like maybe a horse accountant who done you wrong in the past? He <laughs> <laughs> was wronged me. Won't talk about him no more. I had a horse. Uh, the, the first factory. horse I ever rode. I was twelve years old. Mm-hmm. His name was Fury. Well, that should have been a. Tip and he off. only understood Spanish. And they put me on him, and who's it was the, wait, awful. Who's they? The government? Or the, go- <laughs> <laughs> the accountant. Um, I was on vacation with my parents. Mm-hmm. On some Caribbean island, which sounds lovely. Yeah. And my parents wanted my brother and I gone for the day mm-hmm. so they could just hang out and do some day drinking. And because in theory, when I was 12, my parents were younger than I am right now. So, um, so, we, so they we were, they were they way were more, doing, yeah, they we were like way more, they were young and social and wanted to not be with their kids. Go figure. Yeah. So they sent us away with a couple other people. That we didn't know, <laughs> and they <laughs> took us horseback riding. That and sounds fun. I got put on this horse that was terrifying, 
And it, it couldn't, it obviously didn't listen to me. And it was going really fast. Yeah, and yeah. it went under trees that it could go under, but the person on top of the horse couldn't. And I got like smacked in the face and almost fell off and was crying. And that lasted like five minutes. Were your parents trying to like permanently get rid of you? I don't and this know. sounds a little bit of a setup. You went to this like island beyond That's US really, jurisdiction. It's weird because I haven't really thought about Fury for a long time. Yeah. Now it's. Kind of all coming up. That's Maybe what, he's coming back. That's what Dragon Talk does. It brings up old I memories. knew somebody was going to cry during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be you, Merle. <laughs> we were really trying to grill Mike Merle's. We can get him to cry. Oh. And now Maybe he's, he's the kind the of guy that cries when he sees other people cry. <laughs> he's like Kevin Spacey in, in, in Seven. Like, you basically have engineered this to get on us. Yeah, oh, exactly. This is crazy. It. Yeah. It's my master plan. Well, <laughs> well, only the second time I rode a horse, I forgot his name, but I said, I really want just like an old mellow horse because mm. I don't want to go fast. And they gave me a horse that was literally like dying as oh. we were walking. Like and it smelled like death. You were it like, smelled oh. like, well, it was farting the whole time. <laughs> and then it, every step it took, it like kind of its knee gave out, and we were like walking up this mountain pass and like a whole line Wait, of people. Like, and I was, was this like, on another like uncharted Caribbean island? Like what? This was this? in um, Idaho. Who's who sent you there? Bart. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So you you have a lot of enemies. I don't know why. Yeah. They 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 mask as the people who love me the most, and then they make me ride a horse. Yeah, they make you ride horses. I'm not doing it anymore. I don't blame you. So no, I don't like horses. So you should probably let like the front desk know if a horse named Fury shows up speaking (gasps) Spanish and asking for. (laughs) Hola. Hola. (laughs) Hola. Donde esta? (laughs) Señorita (laughs) Shelley. <laughs> Fury. It has well, come it's to actually this. Nick Fury. He's Nick got Fury, like yeah. the you know eye patch and everything. I feel like maybe we could work Fury into something in D and D. We could. All of these horse stories, people don't talk enough about their mounts and having characters in D&D campaigns. It's almost oh, like yes, kind they of hand they, they, always, they always want to put them in armor and make them fight stuff. Well, there's that, but the, nobody like ever gets to my the... questions on Twitter are like, if I put an <laughs> armor on my horse and give it a gun, blah, blah, and it's like, ah. Really? So I just on principle say no. Just put, what if your daughter asked you that? Oh, I'd say yes. <laughs> but she's not what on Twitter if, yet. No, what if yet. she wants to put um, yes. armor on yes. Bailey yes, of and give him a gun? Sure. That that's must okay. be a good idea. Bailey's sure. the dog, right? Yeah, he's the little sensitive dog. He, maybe he could use some armor and yeah. a gun. He could use some emotional armor. He's very, <laughs> very easily rattled. The poor oh, little guy. Oh. Yeah. I'm sad. He has little self esteem issues. Oh. Well,. We uh, we digressed quite a bit there, but so I guess we don't need to introduce our guest. Yeah, it's Mike Morales. <laughs> He'll be on uh, uh, after our show. We get to talk a little bit more about uh, uh, Tales from the Awning Portal. Um, but uh, you guys all should check out D and D Beyond. Uh, it's in beta now. I'm not sure what phase it'll be oh, in when yeah. you guys are listening to this, but it probably will be the second phase in which you will be able to build and uh, track your character. So please go check that out. D and D Beyond dot com. It's available to anybody who signs up on that website. Uh, we just want to open it up to as many beta tested as ever. Curse Gaming is the people who are developing it. They did a fantastic job. Um, and uh, we're putting it through its paces now. So the more people that we get to test out that content, the better. Yep. Yeah. More the merrier. Have you gotten a chance to look at it? Yes, I have. What do you think? I think it's pretty cool. Sweet. Yeah. We've been using it to organize our monsters and stuff, look stuff up. Nice. Cool. So, yeah. Cool. Nice. Well, we're going to have them on in a few uh, few weeks as well to, to, to get the skinny on what's happening with D&D Beyond. Cool. You guys should all check it out. And, of course, Dragon Plus issue uh, for April is coming out. Uh, I think we're aiming for April 24th. Wow. At least Bart is. Just we'll see cranking if he makes them it. out. Yeah. Every two months. Every time. Um, and there's a lot of fun stuff in there about Tales from the Awning Portal. We went to uh, interview a lot of the old adventure writers um, and get their kind of like director's commentary Aww, really? on what it was like. I know. So what a great idea, right? That's really right? cool. Yeah. 
Bart's, Bart's doing a pretty good job over there on the Dragon Plus. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like he's like super excited and in love with his job or something. I know, right? Like, not like us. No, it's not old and jaded. <laughs> Back to the old clicking of right yeah. about monsters today. Oh, <laughs> no. no. God, I, I wish I worked like in a limestone quarry. Those guys <laughs> <sound> so great. <laughs> yeah. And you got to slide down a dinosaur's back when the whistle blew. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's so glamorous. So yeah. I was thinking of the, uh, uh, the image from the end of the first Superman movie where they're like, you know, Lex Luthor is in like the striped oh, yeah. uh, uh, quarry, like banging things. Yeah, that's where I'm Yeah, me too. I was, was You weren't at all. Okay, fine. Uh, so, <laughs> one of the awful parts about our job is that we have to talk to Matt Cernet about lore uh, that's coming out. Uh, so, we'll do that now. And uh, by awful, I mean it's actually one of my favorite parts of the I job. I know. I'm just throwing that. That's sure. why I didn't correct you. So you, could, you could listen to this. You, Matt, might actually know. Shh, don't tell don't him. Don't say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and the bing bongs happen. <laughs> The theme music to this is Bing Bong's out. Welcome to Lori Should Know. I'm Greg Tito and I'm joined by Matt Cernet. Howdy. How goes it this fine day? Excellent. We are going to talk about a topic that was uh, introduced by a Twitter user by the name of Kevin Myers. Thank you. Uh, his, his Twitter handle is Jim Davison, so I don't know what your real name is, sir. But thank you for um, mentioning the topic about the gods Amontor and Lathander. Lathander? Lathander? A monitor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, these are, uh, well, yeah, Matt, why don't you tell us about the, what, these, uh, what these gods are all about in the Forgotten Realms? Sue. So, uh, Lathander is a really old deity, but a monitor might be older. It's a little hard to tell. In, within the sort of history of Forgotten Realms, both are very old deities. They have legends going back, way back when, about them. So, um, but what happens with 4th uh, edition is that the two deities um, blend, and uh, there's this idea that a monitor... Um, was pretending to be Lavender all along, and then he kind of comes out as um, the main deity of Monitor and is this sort of deity of, of sun and good and law and all things nice. Uh, it's a bit of a strange transition because if you look way back when, a Monitor is sort of a forgotten deity in the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. And what is he the deity of? He is a deity from the period of Netheril, so the ancient empire of Netheril. Right. And in that um, time, he is a deity basically of the law and of things following the proper order of things. So the sun rises, the sun sets. Ergo, this, this deity, a monitor, is sort of this lawful, neutral, uh, stern god of, of things being what they should be. Okay. Uh, progressing forward in the timeline of the world, Amontor is not really worshipped anymore after the fall of Nethril. Right, Nethril was like a magic kingdom, kind of, or, or, or you know, in the north, right? And Luskin was one of its uh, sort of a, outposts. An outpost after it, after well, went before and after it fell, it was sort of an outpost. Right, and. Uh, the it's only Amonitor is really only remembered um, or worshipped uh, in theory in, as a version of himself called Atar, who is uh, um, acknowledged by the Bedine in the the um, the desert where Netheril um, once was sort of at the, had the main seat of its empire. Got it. 
and the Bedine are sort of a migrant people who live in the deserts um, and uh, are sort of remnants of the, the fall, I mean, thousands and thousands of years later, of the fall of Netheril. Um, and so Lavender is an entirely different deity. has a totally different ethos. Attar is similar in sort of a stern deity, but in, you know, being a desert people who get burned by the sun a lot, um, he's, <laughs> he's a, he is an even more fierce um, sort of god at that you, point. You mentioned the sun. Is he associated with the sun? Attar is, and, uh, and of course, uh, Lavender and um, Amanatar are. But Lavender is a different version of a sun deity entirely. Uh, if you go back to um, its, his descriptions in second edition products, he's a deity that is about hope and new beginnings. Mm. And so um, it's about the sunrise, not the sun during the whole day, not the sunset. It's literally about, he's the, called the morning lord because his, his oh, realm right. is... Um, basically, that period of, of the day dawning, and so it is. Each each day brings you know new hope for and for uh, you know new things, and that's the sort of uh, lens that he's viewed through. He's a deity that you know you in this pantheistic society, you uh, you give some acknowledgement to when you sign a new contract for a deal with with some partners, right? We're going to have a new deal with one another. We're signing this contract. Let's acknowledge um, Lavender. And mm-hmm. so we'll sign this contract under the, you know, at dawn on such and such a day. Uh, if you're going to get married and you're, we're going to embark on this new stage of life together, let's get married. We're going to get married at dawn. Acknowledge Lavender. You know, and also other deities at the same time because it's pantheistic. You're going to acknowledge Sune for love and so on and so forth. Right, right, right. Um, but that's cool. I like the idea of the Morning Lord as being like, this is this is where things begin and start, and you know, it's always darkest before the dawn kind of idea. Like, right. Yeah. There's there's always going to be hope. And and so he's sort of this uh, this hopeful deity. There are various legends in the um, in the rattling around the background about Lavender and his love affairs with X, Y, and Z. Um, Among different di- deities, or mortals? yeah, yeah. So, so there's uh, as with sort of you know Greek mythology or yeah. any mythology in the world, there there are um, uh, myth, myths of um, the characters and and their loves and their hates and their battles and so on and so there's forth. There's always like a soap opera level yeah. of, uh, <laughs> of, of goings on amongst the deities. Uh, and one of one of Lavender's thing is is related to uh, a, the deity um, Moander, and uh, and then also uh, the Moander is this um, weird, evil deity of um, rot and plants and growth. It's a strange. He's a strange guy. And uh, Lavender, I think, is having a love affair of some kind with Tyche, who is the goddess of luck at the time, mm. good and bad. She's the goddess of fortune. And um, she receives a rose, which, which is one of Lavender's symbols, and she thinks it's from Lavender. And, in fact, it's from Moander, and it is Moander himself. And she puts her in, in her hair, and that doesn't go well for her because... She gets split into um, two, and she becomes Timora, the goddess of good luck, and Bishaba, the goddess of bad luck. Ah. And it gets more complicated than that. Um, but uh, that's sort of one of the legends of Lavender. Um, that's interesting. I like that the Rose, uh, you know, shout out to, to Shelley Mazzanoble's uh, love of the bachelor. That's clearly where, <laughs> clearly where that exactly, came from. Yeah, yeah the so, producers of that show. <laughs> 
So uh, how we got to, in fourth edition, Amanator sort of taking Lavender's place is it kind of gets into how the sausage is made um, with edition changes. Um, what frequently happens with edition changes in D&D is that there's, there's an effort made to explain why certain mechanics are either newly available or no longer available to you in the world. So if you go way back when uh, with the original like um, Gray Box and what it described, it was basically written in a uh, first edition um, theory. And so there were things called assassins that were a class that you could play, etc. Um, when the uh, the novel series um, comes out that um, basically accounts for the changes of second edition, and that is the that's um, escaping me now. But the time it, of troubles. Time of troubles. Thank you. Yeah. Um, basically, one of the events there is that the god of assassins is killed, and so all assassins in the world die. <laughs> and it's a really ham-fisted kind of a thing, right? Like, wait a minute, do all assassins worship Ball? Like, wh- what? Like, what's going? I don't. Uh, what is? What is even happening here? But you know. It's it's dramatized in a way that was compelling, and uh, and that's essentially what happens with many editions is that there's there's a change that's made and it's sort of dramatized in, by novels or adventures or something. Uh, with fourth edition, a, a lot of changes were made, and the, but they weren't dramatized because there was also the hundred year gap that happened. Yeah, and so a lot of the changes that happened didn't get dramatized and also didn't get explained very well. So how did Amonitor, who was this ancient god of, a nearly forgotten god of, you know, law and sternness and lawful neutralness, kind of like take over Lavender's portfolio and all his worshippers and then become uh, basically this paladin's god of sun, I hate the undead, it's all about hope and being good and, you know, the rule of law at the same time and so on and so forth. And uh, how the sausage is made, <laughs> <laughs> getting into that a little bit, is that um, with uh, third edition and its reliance on the Greyhawk pantheon, um, there was the deity of Pelor. And Pelor right. is kind of what, what a monitor became. Paylor is a good deity. He's a lawful deity. He's the deity of paladins. Yeah. And so when things were being shuffled His around... The symbol was the, the sun. The sun with a face on it, yeah. right? And so when things were being sh- shuffled around, you know, I think what happened is that, uh, you know, there was attempt, you know, again in... There was attempt in third and then in fourth to limit the number of deities because the idea was there were just too many deities to keep track of. And in many senses, that's true. When you have game mechanics that rely upon lots of different um, domains for the clerics. And then you have different deities and you want them to have different domains. And then suddenly there's this explosion of domains and explosion. Every deity you create sort of makes new domains. There, in, in third edition, there was the darkness domain, the shadow domain, the shade domain. <laughs> like, okay. What are the differences between those? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, Right, and they all had different deities yeah. that sometimes had shade, but then also had yeah. poison. Or, yeah, yeah, right. It's very strange, and yeah. so, and so like it was an attempt to sort of constrain that that design by constraining the deities first. Right, and and also like, hey, we have Palor, and Palor works really good as this paladin's deity, and so we want this forgotten. There's no clear paladin's deity in the Forgotten Realms, so we, and who does the things that Palor does, you know? And there are paladin deities in the Forgotten Realms. There were, 
but they didn't do the things that Paler did. They didn't have the sun as a symbol. Right. right. Like so, there was tear and like you yeah, know, and justice and, and torm things like that. and things right. like that. So, and so you know, then you get a monitor taking that role. And the interesting thing is that a monitor symbol was a sun with a face in it, and Paler symbol was a sun with a face in it. But then Paylor's symbol kind of got adopted for a monitor, but it was one of Paylor's lesser-known symbols, where it was a sort of disc with arrows pointing off of it made of gold, and that mm-hmm. became a monitor symbol. So there's even this like strange Greyhawk intrusion of the symbol into the Forgotten Realms fourth edition of you know Pantheon, Pantheon and right Deities yeah. and so on. So and then how did Lathander get? Put into that with just the idea of a morning and hope. Well, just the idea that you know that's our sun deity in the Forgotten Realms. That's the one we know, but we want to bring back this sort of lawful good or lawful deity and um, bring that into the equation. And so a monitor is basically going to, um, you know, beat up Lathander and take his stuff. <laughs> Got it. And and so that's effectively what happened with with the setting. Um, and in the story of the world. You know, I would imagine that in the period of upheaval when the spell plague happened and there's that hundred years of weird stuff and wars and plagues and all these things going on, you know, uh, Lavender basically stops answering prayers and something calling itself a monitor starts answering prayers. And that's effectively what ends up happening. So, you know, any paladins that were around or, or, or priests of Lavender are just starting to realize that this personification of divine divinity just didn't seem to be working anymore and something i mean would it, would it be so clear as a uh, a being saying like you call me amentor now right like, well it- so that's that's really super unclear and uh, you know i think that one of the assumptions in earlier editions was that uh you know deities had certain they were literally written uh, rules for the amount of s- sort of influence a deity would have in a world. So if it was a, a greater deity, if you said its name, it could hear this many words right. after, you know, We, we its talked name. about this on a, right. on a previous lore segment and how, how that developed into such crazy ideas. And so that, I think that craziness sort of infected the idea of, of deities in general to where, to the point where essentially, yeah, it was the idea that they would just like send out a, you know, a, a, a mass email that <laughs> would go out to all the clerics <laughs> and say, all right, here's the new rules. You're now worshiping a monitor. Yeah. And <laughs> it hit my spam filter. I didn't, I didn't get it. Uh, but uh, I, I could see the idea of there being like a, a, a prophet or a scholar who might know about this uh, Netherese god or deity and start to be like, well, maybe this is something. And then, then put forth that idea, you know, kind of similar to the way like St. Paul uh, sure. uh, in our world right. um, proselytized Christianity. And if he didn't do that, we probably wouldn't have Christianity around anymore, but like there, there might be a, some some mortal who was able to interpret an older text or an older, you know, uh, uh, artifact from from the Netheril Empire and be like, oh well, maybe this is what's actually happening. And then, you know, the 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 popular clerics would start talking about right. that. And over a hundred years, that's that could be plenty of time to to have that shift happen. It, yeah, it could be. I mean, over an entire planet with lots of isolated populations. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, now I want to run a campaign of like I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be the guy who tells everyone about uh, uh, this new god. So what happens with fifth edition is and the Sundering is the idea that essentially, um, you know, all the gods are 
are returned to the world through uh, Ao, um, you know, at at the end of this this the sundering, basically, coming in and in the same way that he came in at the end of the time of troubles uh, and mm-hmm. and laid out the rules. Ao again sort of comes in at the end of the time of the sundering and lays out the rules and and for deities, what that means is, um, you know. The the shackles are off in many senses. You know, I'm not gonna give one deity control over death. Right. Right. You know, there's gonna be multiple deities of the dead and dying and death in various forms, and that's gonna be okay. You know, it, in some sense, it it's always gonna be a okay. <laughs> <laughs> in some sense, it always was okay because you know, different um, different. Uh, Races or cultures had their own pantheons that didn't have the same you know, sort of human pantheon. Mm-hmm. So there would be all there was already a different moon goddess for the elves and that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but you know, Ao basically says for for the vast majority of you humans here, it's going to be okay. There's going to be other deities, and you know, all these old deities are fine. And so you know, uh, but also he says. Deities take a step back. You know, we're all we've been meddling too much in the world. Mm-hmm. Let's all take a step out of this, and I'm going to sort of remove you. And so there's a sense that essentially, um, while deities are are more present in the world in the sense that they are sending more signs, right? There, there, there might be like like in second edition uh, when Ed was writing about the deities, he would talk about how. Um, you know, an amber glow would appear around an altar mm. as a sign of, of favor or something from a deity. Or, right. uh, you know, in battle, um, you know, the, the dwarf uh, um, who's, you know, a cleric of Klingedon, you know, might have, might, his axes might start glowing and whatever, and when he's fighting, and you know that that person was being visited by Klingedon, you know. Um, it's more symbols and signs that have to be interpreted now. Right, rather than a personification of the right. deity actually speaking to you and being like, well, for lunch yeah. today I have... Yeah, a- no emails anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so the... the and, and, and it's interesting then because it allows you to have as many deities as you want and whichever deities that you want to have influence in the world and also allows for the possibility of misinterpretation of signs from those deities. You, know, you can have false prophets. You can have... People or deities or entities masquerading as deities, right? You know, if it's all it takes is an amber glow on an altar, you know, some illusionist can pretend can that, do that, yeah, right? and, and do with X, Y, and Z. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, and then clerics, well, as well, you know, there there was the assumption that basically, you know, we there would be these tables, like how many clerics are there in this village? How many temples are there? Well, there's two temples, and they're they're both major temples, so they have you know, XD four clerics of XD four level. Um, and no, clerics are special people who are imbued with, uh, you know, the, the favor and power and interest of deities, mm-hmm. of a particular deity, right? Not just the, the pantheon, but of a particular deity. Right. And, uh, and so if you go to a temple, there might be a cleric there because maybe someone has, has decided like, hey, this person has the favor of the gods or a god. Let's listen to what this person says, and so they've they've built a temple around this cleric, or there might be a temple that's been there, and a cleric might visit it. Right. But it's not the case that all, every temple of God realms is staffed with hordes of clerics and underlings and. So right. On. It's like the distinction between like a priest or a holy person that could interpret texts and 
do sermons and, and run the temple versus one that actually has right. imbued with divine power. Right. You know, and, and, and you know, if, if there were sort of historical analogs, it would be the difference between, you know, uh, you know a priest or whatever and somebody like Joan of Arc, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if she was actually imbued by, you know, God to do X, Y, and Z, you know, that, that is a right. cleric in, right. in the world. And then as far as, you know, Amatar and, and uh, uh, Lathander, they... You know, maybe they have it wrong. Maybe they don't. Maybe you know, whoever is giving that power, it hasn't made it very clear, and that's kind of what's happening. It's like you don't, you know, a cleric can have power without knowing exactly where it's coming from, and to a certain extent, is that that true? I I think that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, any answer that they get is de facto coming from their own (laughs) most of the time, right? Yeah. You know, like they can they can do an augury or whatever, and and get a yes no, or and and uh, and it's coming from whomever is giving them their power. So. Um, in some, I mean, I don't want to blur the lines too much between clerics and warlocks because I think there should be some distinction there. Um, but I, I think that uh, you know, it's it's one of the things where um, Lavender, as a deity, you know, as this god of of hope and new beginnings and that kind of a thing, is he even a deity that has clerics in a traditional sense? Is that going to be common? Right? Mm. Like, what's the new beginning that your character? Is sort of embodying, right? Right. As you know, I think that's there's interesting when you start thinking about it that way. In the same way that there are really interesting stories to tell about um, cool warlock packs and who your pact is with. When you think about your cleric's relationship to a deity and like what that means, instead of thinking of it like, oh well, I went to cleric school and <laughs> <laughs> and I got my spells. Yeah. You know, it it could be basically you know this deity has me in a world in the world for a purpose what is that purpose right and that cleric might might have a clear idea of 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 what his mission and vocation is in life but it might be heresy compared to the rest of the society so, right right, right. You know, or the rest of the priesthood or, or yeah. that kind of thing and i really like uh, players who use cleric characters to kind of explore those ideas and being like, yes, I, I have power. I clearly am doing right things. And, you know, the common folk may uh, uh, thank him for, you know, doing all the adventuring deeds that he does. Um, but he's not really sure, uh, you know, not, I mean, he may be very sure, but like the, the rest of the world may not know, uh, you know, n- not believe his story. Right. In a way. Because ultimately, who knows if that person is actually getting power from that deity it's not it's not so simple right yeah you know and then the idea of like medieval charlatans who uh, uh you know like you said the illusionist who just is making it up yeah i mean that's a that's a fun character too yeah <laughs> uh all right cool well thank you so much uh matt i feel like uh, you know we have we know a little bit more about uh, uh about these two deities and how it worked and also how to think about being a cleric in 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 the Forgotten Realms and D anD D in general, so yeah, great fun. Yeah. Now, geez, yeah, again, I want to like run like four different characters now based on what we talked about. Um, thank you, Kevin Myers, for uh, uh, putting forth that topic. If you guys want to come up with some more lore topics, feel free to message me at Greg Tito on Twitter and uh, Matt. If they want to ask you anything about lore, how can they get in touch with you? At Cernet, S E R N E T T. Awesome. All right, thank you guys. We'll have some more lore coming your way in the coming weeks. Awesome. That was great. I love hearing from Matt uh, all about stuff that's uh, coming out uh, from the lore brain of Mr. Matt Cernet. Um, hopefully you can use some of those nuggets in, in your game. And uh, I know you guys have been throwing out some really good topics, uh, our, our, our Dragon Talk listeners, for more lore stuff. So please continue to do that, and uh, we'll, we'll investigate them. Shelly, do you have any uh, stuff that we should be talking lore, about? Lore you should know? Yeah. I'm just glad that Matt has an outlet for all of this lore 
in his head. Yeah. So it doesn't just stay locked away. It, it, can, it can come out. But he like be, works here and puts it to good use. And share and it And he's with not the world. just like tormented by lore. <laughs> <laughs> As one is often. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to drop lore nuggets at dinner parties and people are like, we don't know. We don't care. <laughs> like, you know, no, uh, don't invite that weirdo. Halister, the bad mage, will do this. And you, know, <laughs> like, um. <laughs> you know, those people that always try to like bring a conversation back to something that they want to talk about, usually themselves. Yeah, yeah. that's like you me be, trying to host this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> always trying, trying to get to this like to go stay back on to topic. <laughs> okay, I hate those people too. I hate right, too. Well, speaking of uh, other people, we hate. We got Mike Merles <laughs> here. <laughs> Today's in the guy. office, um, and I don't hate Mike because we're we're both from New England. That's right. Yeah, go Patriots, go Red Sox. We are Red Sox fans through and through. Yep. Yeah, I'm mad. Well, actually, now it's gonna be baseball season. It actually started when this yeah. this is gonna go out. So it's about time. Yeah, Red Sox are in first place, and they're gonna stay that way. For I can the rest talk of baseball. Do you know A Rod and J Lo are dating? That's that's it's a good actually match. it's a good match because they have very similar names. The consonant, yeah. like three letter word. Yeah. Like, how, is that what, what if it's like a law or something? They I have think to, it was just they had to. Yeah. Yeah. They were round up and put together. <laughs> <laughs> What's their couple name? Is it Rajla? J Rod. Rajla. J Rod. J Rod. J Rod. J Rod. Yeah. All right. I They're like, like roughly the same age. Yeah. I just love the fact that A Rod uh, is a centaur. Have you seen that? <laughs> I have not seen he that. He actually said, like, at one point, like, yeah, I forget what the question that he was asked, but he would say, like, I would be a centaur. And then so there's, like, all this fan art of the torso of okay. A-Rod with Attached the body to... of a horse Why behind he... him. Back to horses. <gasps> Back to the horses. <gash> but it's a freaking image. Wait a sec. Maybe Fury was A-Rod in disguise. Oh. Maybe. He could have been practicing. He is from a Latin country. I don't know for what. But Think about it. Maybe. It must have been someone I met in a past life that I wronged. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of which, uh, Speaking uh, of did we, lives. so who did we wrong in order to put the, the, the all the adventures together for Tales of the Yawning Portal? Wait, who did we wrong? Yeah, no, I was trying to do a segue there. <laughs> I was terrible. Say, like, good taste? I don't know, but that's <laughs> awful. That makes sense. <laughs> who's, whose fault is this <laughs> yeah, book? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so this basically book came together. We were thinking about, uh, you have all these classic adventures from D&D's history, and you don't really, you know, in 5th edition, you can't play them unless you want to convert them and you want to go to, to, to dmsguild.com and buy them. So we thought, why not just make it easier for everyone? So we just went through the archives and we have all this information, you know, what adventures people missed or which ones are their favorites. And that was pretty easy just to build build a list from that and kind of based mm-hmm. on our own preferences when there was like a tie or a judgment call. Who We'd, who makes the call? Uh, me. You? Yes. Because you invented Dungeons and Dragons. I invented and Dungeons Dragons. and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> So you so yeah so says Mrs. Murray. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about like which how we how we made that cut like how do we figure out which ones were the ones we wanted to uh, to put in this book? Yeah, so the, there there were two uh, criteria. The first one was just you know how much do people like the adventure. So that's the easiest one. You just you know you kind of we have had polls we've done and things like that. So we just make make the big list. And then as we looked at the list, what we we found was if we picked the right sequence of adventures, we could essentially build a campaign that like went from levels one to fifteen. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have the same overarching story that a um, Storm King's Thunder or Curse of Strahd might have. But it's still, if you just go from one adventure to the next, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a campaign. Yeah. So that was kind of our second criteria. So as we arranged them, we just, you know, we wanted one low-level adventure, you know, then one all the way up through the level sequence. And since we end with Tomb of Horrors, it ends around 15-ish. So we were just like, maybe we want to do like a bunch of low-level adventures, but we already have Lost Mine of Vandelver in the starter set. So we kind of felt like we'd just be kind of crowding things mm-hmm. up. We didn't want to have something, though, that had just high-level stuff because we always like to make every product we, we we print as usable to the new DM as possible. 
So if you're just starting a campaign, you could just start with just this book. That's really so, cool. So yeah, those kind of the, the, the two pieces that came together. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but I also heard that it was it, they needed to have a really uh, uh, iconic dungeon or like a dungeon that was a big part of the adventure. Yeah, that was kind of the sub theme. The um, it's not as apparent. Like, I guess you could you know things like some of the against the giants. Like it, it does take place in a dungeon. But it's not necessarily the dungeon itself that's memorable; is the setup. Yeah. But yeah, that was one of the, the, the other criteria we we started with, and a lot of that's also just because the nature of the older adventures they're generally very dungeon focused. Right. So, but yeah, so we thought those were two kind of nice ways to tie everything together into one coherent collection. We've been talking a lot in uh, you know previous lore segments about the older adventures, uh, but maybe we could talk more about some of the some of the mid to, to to newer stuff that's in here as well, and why we chose those. Yeah, so with um, so the two there's two third edition adventures and there's a fourth edition. Well, not really fourth edition; it's more a playtest for fifth edition adventure. Um, so the Sunless Citadel and the uh, Forger Fury. Yeah. When we looked What'd at those, you say? which one? The second one. Uh, Forger Fury. Again, Fury. Oh my God! Oh my you're God. right. What is happening? I had the horse. Part of that. I didn't even do it until Whoa. I said it. Oh my God! I'm like part of the conspiracy now. <laughs> This is like the ring. Like, you, wore, you rode this horse, and now he's going to come back and kill you. And now everybody that's listening to this podcast is also going to be infected. Oh, my, oh my God. God. I'm sorry, everyone. This is running deeper than I thought. I know. Right. I am going to cry If now. you wake up tomorrow with, like, a horse's head in your bed. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Nobody wear one of those creepy horse masks. Oh, oh now God, I definitely have to yeah. add that to my shopping. That's about, what do you want for birthday? Oh, a creepy yeah. horse head mask. Alexa, oh add... <laughs> Horse and yeah. mask to the shopping list. I can expense that. I'll, I'll put totally put that down I, as expense. Nathan oh, will buy everybody yeah. on the team one. I'm sure he would. So yeah, no, that's, that's okay. a requirement now. So Forge, uh, Forge of Fury. Oh, so the, the, those are the two adventures that launched uh, third edition back in 2000. So when we look at the sales numbers, like you know, those were probably the two best selling adventures for the edition. And you know, because I'm like in my 40s now, and I've started playing D&D in the 80s. It's easy to forget that there are tons of people now who started playing D&D with third edition right. or three right. five. So for them, these I adventures, did. yeah. So they, so these adventures might be a very formative part of your D and D history. So re- realizing that you know nostalgia isn't just about the '80s. I mean, come on, it, it is, but sometimes it's pretend it isn't. The um, that's where that kind of came in. And I mean, both the both I, I really like both adventures. I run especially the Forger Fury. I run a bunch of times. So I think it's a nice it, the way it's set up. It's very nice. It's got a lot of variety within it, um, and the dungeon really feels like an interesting place just to explore. So and uh, and what what uh, what's the setup for Sunless Citadel? Uh, that one's pretty simple. It's a, a a castle that long ago fell into the earth. This chasm in the earth, and so you have to go down and explore it. Uh, and there's some kobolds and goblins in there that are fighting over for control of the dungeon. And there's a, a very young white dragon that's kind of the the, the centerpiece of their of their feud. Mm. So that's sort of the intro thing. But then there's a sinister villain sort of lurking in the background on the second level of the dungeon that you have to deal with. So nice. I don't want to give it too many spoilers. No, no. Yeah. But yeah, then, I mean, they're kind of basically just like classic dungeon crawls. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. And then a lot of people don't know, I mean, I, I get this, uh, uh, you know, we are privy to a little bit more of sales numbers than a lot of people know, but like those, you talked about, they were some of the best-selling adventures, but as far as we know, they might be the best-selling adventures ever they, yeah, in, they, in the history of Dungeons & Dragons, even going back to TSR. Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely in the top ten. And that was one of the things, looking at all these adventures, with the exception of Dead and Fae, which we, we've never, we haven't sold before, that was available through the... The, the forerunner of the Adventurers League. I'm not sure what we called organized play before we called it Adventurers League. Uh, encounters, just, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah D&D, D&D Encounters. encounters. Yeah. The, um, yeah, so the, it, all of these adventures were, are some of the top-selling ones. Again, that was one of the other criteria was historical sales numbers. What's at the top? Like, what is the most, has right. seen the most exposure? Right, because polls and things, people can, you know, they can be, uh, opinions can shift and change oh, that yeah. way. But, like, sales numbers are things that are like, oh, that's what 
people responded to for yeah. whatever reason. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's very cool. Um, and so, yeah, talk a little, what's, what's going on in Dead and Thay? What's, what was, I mean, because I, I think that is the one that people may not know, you know, as much about. Yeah, so the uh, Dead and Thay is kind of an interesting adventure because it is literally just an enormous dungeon. When it was created for D&D Encounters, it had this framing story around it that let you, like, delve into the dungeon, like, once a week for a couple hours, and it had an ongoing narrative. We've actually stripped a lot of that out to leave just the dungeon. And the dungeon itself, it's one level, but it has, I think, around 120 encounter areas to explore. 120? So, yeah, so just a massive, sprawling complex. So that was kind of the appeal there. And it's one of the dungeons, I think it's a really fun dungeon. It, just, it didn't get much attention because it was released only through uh, D&D Encounters. So mm-hmm. if you didn't have a local game store, you didn't really have, oh, yeah. have any way to play it when it first came out. Um, it was also one of those bridge dungeons between 4th edition to 5th edition, so it was part of the playtest. Right. So it was something which we'd seen a lot of people, had, people who had a chance to play it, really enjoyed it. So when you think about this book, you know, I mentioned the criteria earlier, but I also kind of thought of it as putting together like a greatest hits album. We wanted to have one adventure that was a little bit of something that, that people may have overlooked. So mm-hmm. by putting it aside these more well-known adventures, it gives Dead and Thay the chance to achieve a sort of similar high profile. I love that. I think, yeah, I think you even said it in the, uh, the video that uh, Todd Kenrick did, that it was like a remastered greatest hits album yeah. is what Tales from the Awning Portal is all about. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, good, really good way to think of it. It's kind of like our greatest hits volume one. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have volume two and three in the love, next uh, No, I'd love to. Forward, I think it'd be really fun. It was a fun book to put together. And it's fun to see these classic adventures. Like I have, I have a copy in front of me right now, and I'm looking at It's open to White Plume Mountain. And just seeing, you know, the the text, you know, with new art, the uh, fifth edition layout, it, these are some of the adventures that got me into really enjoying D and D. So it's kind of nice to sort of to bring them forward. And you know, our, our goal was to, especially for the older adventures, to really honor them. You know, that these were the works that really paved the way for the success we're enjoying today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without the history of D and D, you don't have D and D. So yeah, it was really it was really exciting to take something that you know you, I know relatively well, having played you know most of these adventures, and see it come come to life again for the next generation people getting into the game now. So other than like stats mm-hmm. and basic rules, which I don't even know how much that factors in, but is there how how different is it if you were just straight up writing an adventure for third edition? Of D and D versus fifth edition, are there are there like definitive design choices yeah. you're making now? It, it is it is quite different because the, the as the game has evolved, the way in which you design adventures definitely reflects how the game was played. So when you look back in the '70s, the adventures were were I don't want to say necessarily antagonistic, like the DM was out to destroy the players, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you would definitely in in the the, the design you were trying to pose problems that challenge the players not necessarily the characters. It was a lot of it was about problem solving, like okay. literal role play. Like, you know, you're standing on a, you know, frictionless surface and there's these pits filled with spikes that are throughout the room. How do you get across? You know, and in more modern d and you know, have more spells that let you do that. You know, you can just dimension door across the room. But back in the 70s, the ma- magic system was a bit more limited. And so you, would, you could solve it with a spell, but you typically couldn't solve it for the entire party. So you had to think creatively, like, like, well, I'll take my coil of rope and this 10-foot pole, and, you know, that was kind of your solution. And the DM having to make a lot of judgment calls. In 2nd edition, you saw... Now, there aren't any 2nd edition adventures in here, um, 
mainly just by the way things fell. I mean, second edition was not really, there weren't many published dungeon, uh, dungeons or adventures for it. There was a lot more settings that were published yeah, in, in second edition. Yeah, it was much more about the story and the setting and, and building worlds. So it's kind of interesting, you, you see that gap. There aren't adventures in here from second edition because outside of Dungeon Magazine, there just weren't many adventures written for second edition that weren't very deeply attached to a setting. Mm. Mm. Um, they would typically kind of like show off some big, big event that was changing the setting in some way and the players would have some, some chance to interact with it. So in third edition, the adventure design was much more focused on, um, and you saw this going into fourth too, uh, much more focused on combat um, as really building up balanced combat encounters. The, um, the DM, they, they really for the first time in third edition, you had this real attempt to make a robust system that let you figure out the party strength versus the monster's strength. And there was this, re- so there's a real sense of, you know, adventure, a lot of it is about fighting. Um, you know, there's an exploration element to it but combat's probably one of the real important parts. And fourth edition take that to an even further extreme by making, um, you know, you have these very detailed tactical maps with uh, a lot of like terrain elements and things that made combat more of a puzzle. It was almost kind of coming, not full circle with the, the 70s and early 80s, but going in that direction where as a player, your character had all these special tactical abilities you could use, but there's a, your play skill came in and learning how to use those abilities at the right time and how to exploit the setup for the encounter to your advantage. Hmm. So and so third three E kind of started down that path. You know, I'd say especially the early three E adventures were a little bit more exploration focused, um, but they didn't quite have the problem solving layer that you saw in the seventies. The um, now with fifth, we, you know, our attitude is we, we're trying to strike a balance that we have some interesting fights, some interesting more. You know, it's the three pillars: um, combat, interaction, and exploration. The um, and so we're, we're kind of like, you know, looking back in the history and seeing all these different trends and then just trying to take like the, the most interesting parts of each of them and integrate it. Now, that doesn't really affect the design of these adventures because we're updating classic adventures, mm-hmm. right? So we're not going to suddenly rewrite, you know, White Plume Mountain to change it to right. fit our design. So, you know, that kind of undermines the entire point of doing this product. <laughs> so it's just interesting to trace. I mean, I think what your question was getting at was like the tracing, like, oh, this is what it was like back then, and yeah. this is how it's yeah. changed over the years. And I think this oh, document, yeah. especially not document, this book, like, shows almost as like a like a yeah a history lesson. Oh, yeah. you can definitely say, especially with like the extremes, like Tomb of Horrors versus you know like Forge of Fury, you can see a very big difference. And I know when I designed adventures, whether for publication or for my own use. You could see, like, you know, in third edition, you were always really worried about, is this fight going to be tough enough to keep the players interested? Where earlier editions, you were thinking, like, oh, what's this cool puzzle, and how can I kind of mislead the players or force them to be kind of clever to figure out how to get past this thing? You yeah. Know? It, it's definitely the mindset of the game changed. It, it, each, each generation gets and plays Dungeons & Dragons in its own distinct way. The, uh, and to me, it'll be interesting, like, in five or ten years, when they look back at this time period with the big campaigns we're publishing, what will the take be on how those were created? Yeah. So, because we can't really say, because you know, we're making them, so it's hard for us to be objective. Oh, this is how we're doing it. I mean, we have goals and design goals, but you know, we don't quite have that insight into like what the effect of what we're doing will be yet, at least. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting to be able to to have newer players who you know some people who have gotten into it at, as third, you said, but there's we hear so many about people who are getting into D and D now for the first time yeah. with fifth edition and don't have the you know, backlog of all this history that many of us older players have. Uh, uh, and so this is, I, I think, a great product to get people to be like, all right, well, this is this is where it came from. 
and you can trace the roots that way. Yeah, that's. I'm really interested to see what effect this product, these adventures, might have on how people think of D and D, especially those new players. Yeah, like will people come in and see it and go, oh, like you know, this style of adventure is actually really interesting, and people want to see more of it. Or is it more like, well, this is how things used to be, and it's fun, but it's not necessarily matching with how we want to play the game today. Yeah, you know, so it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun to read the reviews from people who have not who's who've been playing the game for five years or less. Anecdotally, it was really fun playing. I played uh, uh, Tomb of Horrors from um, this book at PAX East mm-hmm. very recently amongst a group of journalists that I think were in that group. They have really only started playing D and D in the last five years. Um, and, you know, so they had all their, their you know, their pre-gen characters, and they were all thinking about what combat, and like, oh, make sure we have a balanced party, and like, th- that idea that of, of all the things that you need to be a successful party in combat, and Tomb of Horrors has got nothing, nothing yeah, like that, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, I think they got, like, we only played for like, uh, uh, like two hours, and they only got into one fight. Yeah. Um, but they really responded very strongly to the, the problem-solving aspect. And, you know, not really, not, I mean, I guess they have some idea of what Tomb of Horrors was about when they knew there was some misdirection of things that are going on. So they were constantly trying to second and third and fourth guess each other as yeah. to what they were trying to do, the right thing. And it was very fun as a DM just to be like, all right, you pull that lever, all right, you're uh, done. Yeah, yeah, here's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had one guy who'd be like, oh, I may have died a lot in, uh, in, in D&D. My characters have, have perished a lot, but I think this is the first time I've been destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so that novelty of, of, of of feeling like they were playing through the ways that, uh, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, Gary Gygax kind of designed some of these adventures was, was they seem to really uh, positively respond to that. Yeah. And it's interesting because in some ways it's a more accessible version of the game mm. because you don't need to know anything about the rules mechanics to have someone describe a situation to you and then you just say, well, here's what I want to try to do or I want to try to figure out the relationship between these things. It, in some ways, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the game mechanics. It's pure just I'm going to think about this as a person. You know, and so there's kind of an argument to be made that that mode of play is actually good for the game, especially for new players, because mm. you're not asking them to take on too much. You're just basically teaching them the basic concept of what a role-playing game is. Yeah. You know, you're this imaginary person in an imaginary situation. What do you do? Whereas, well, you need to understand how, like, the combat rules work right. or how your spells function and things like that. Those kind of, you know, that's the ad- added layers of a complexity that we see sometimes players will bounce from because it's a lot to take on at once. What level are you for Tuma Fours? Um, I started people at ten uh, and let them have two characters to be like, all right, well, if your guy dies, I'll. I'll no way, and, that's know, a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, as you said, like by the end of it, you should be up to fifteen or so. Yeah. Okay. How many people died in your game? Uh, characters. We only two. Two characters completely died. A lot of them were kind of incapacitated. They were like, all right, well, we'll just start at the beginning with the you know with, the with them guy. coming in, right? Exactly. But it was more of a. It was like a way to give a taste. It wasn't necessarily about like, let's play this as you would normally play in a, in a campaign. Um, but it was fun. And then also I got to throw out, uh, Mike and I uh, collaborated a little bit on making a map of Tomb of oh, Horrors, right. which is a physical artifact, um, a cloth map uh, that we're going give to give away at GaryCon. Um, yep. and maybe some on other, the way. And maybe some other events going on. But I had the sample of it with me. And uh, uh, there's a... Um, uh, gargoyle that has a collar around his neck that has a clue that's written in the adventure. And I decided to be like, oh, you get this map. And I threw it out as like the last thing that we did. And two, every single one of them jumped up from the table and like stared at this map. And they were so excited to have something that was like an actual physical oh, artifact. Cool. To be like, oh, that's where we were. That's how far we were. And that's, the, oh, this goes way over there. We weren't even thinking that. So like, I love that idea to be able to, to, um, 
you know that that's not that wasn't in the adventure as written, but I just, yeah. I just threw that out there and then have them be excited about it was was really exciting. Cool, that was fun to work on. And it reminds me, I have to add, I have to add treasure map to the list of things I've written <laughs> in my career as a game game creator. So yeah, and not not necessarily a truthful treasure map. Yeah, maybe not fully, but it's, I mean, it's it's trying. It's it's edging toward the truth, kind of. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, so what advice would you give for, for Dungeon Masters who are picking this up uh, and uh, w- want to run it for their, for their group? So one of the things I think makes these adventures work and why I enjoy them is, and I'll use the Forge of Fury as an example, embrace the idea that these are environments that you, get, that you are supposed to change and modify in reaction to what your group does. Oh, okay. I think uh, some, some people read these, this style of adventure. And they look at it and they just they don't like it at all. It's like it's just a room with monsters and another room with monsters and so on. But what they miss, what I think makes these adventures fun, is that this, as a dungeon master, is your playground. Part of it is what you have to bring to the table is that performance element of really playing the role of the monsters and being as creative as the players can be. So rather than just say, well, the orcs stand in the room and you fight them and they just sit there and wait for you or whatever, do the thing like have the orcs run away. Have them try to plan an ambush, you know, things like that. Don't fall into the trap of just running each room one after another. Because I can guarantee if you do that, if you just run the text strictly as written and don't bring any creativity to it, you're going to be bored because that's not dungeon mastering. That's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moderating a game. I might as well be playing a video game. The, um, so most of my memorable experiences with these the adventures in this book that I run have been the random kind of stuff that I've just decided. Like, okay, I think mm-hmm. the orcs are just, they've decided this. You know, like they're going to set up an ambush or they're going to, this guy, this orc sub-chieftain is going to murder the chieftain and try to take control. Or, you know, he's going to try to ally with the players, things like that. You know, that's where, to me, it's fun, you know, where you get to take something where it's someone else designed it, but then you get to put your own spin on it. And that's what I really encourage you to do. Like, think about the monsters and think about what your group finds fun and add that yourself. Like, don't, don't just be very passive and let the adventure just sort of sit there and react to the players. Find ways to bring it to life and make the adventurers react, the players react to you. That's a cool idea. Yeah. It, and it also underlines how <coughs> adventures are different you oh, know, yeah. from then and to now. Is that that was kind of implied. I mean, even, you know, in, in Dungeon Mastering Tomb of Horrors, there are some parts where I'm like, I don't really understand how this trap works, so I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, make it up. And yeah. they're asking questions that the text doesn't answer, so you kind of have to infer a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that was that was actually really fun as a dungeon master. Instead of, you know, I think I think in my youth I might have been like, well, I don't know, and then feel like trapped and, and, and not wanting to do it, but I, I'd become comfortable enough as behind the screen to just be like, make it up. And right. then they have to react to that. Exactly. And, and if you get it wrong or it flops, just blame the adventure. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's what <laughs> it wasn't. Mean Mike Merle screwed this one Send up. Send Mike yeah. Merle's a I mean, tweet. I know this was written by Gary Gygax, but I mean, yeah. come on. He's it, not it was, that. He's yeah. a hack. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and we know who really invented Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, according to my mom, at least, right? <laughs> but, you know, especially the in the in the in uh, against the giant, you know, the steeding of the hill giants is a great example of that. Like, you know, as written, it's, it's a bunch of giants having a feast. And if you just run it, like if you don't change anything, you just leave the monsters all what they are, it's very static, right? And, and when I run it, I've had things vary from like the players have tried to like dig through the roof and firebomb the big feast hall from above to like I've had players sneak into the cellar and free the orc slaves and rally them into an army and do an all-out attack on the hill giants. Like, you know, that's, to me, is what makes these adventures fun is you never really know where you're going to end up. Yeah. You know, it's sort of embracing that chaos and as a DM, throwing in those curveballs and changes to keep things exciting. 
And I think that's what makes you two dungeon masters. Yeah, that's that's how you know. Because when you're talking, all I'm like breaking out in a cold sweat and thinking, that sounds awful and intimidating and scary. And I don't want to do that. I don't think I can do that. It's, it, but it's, it's like riding fury. You just <gasps> got to do it. No! Sometimes you just got to ride You got to get back up on fury. that fury. Yeah, <laughs> that fury horse. Like the embrace the chaos. That's yeah. like, that's what killed me as a dungeon master. Yeah, see, that's my thing. I, I'm totally comfortable in chaotic situations. Mm-hmm. I don't you know what do it more is. Practice. You they can just do need it. more practice. Yeah. I think so. With new people. Yeah. So the, but that's, the, that's the advantage of running a published adventure is if your players are, are bored, just blame the designer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> you're right, guys. This was so lame. Yeah, who wrote this? was terrible, right? Wah. Just, yeah. It's always your out. Because yeah, the players aren't supposed to read the adventure, so they're not going to go like, hunting through and trying to figure out what that's you true. changed. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a safety net. Yeah. You just blame the dice, too. Like, you didn't succeed. Move on. <laughs> 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 Nothing to see here. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Who writes these disclaimers? I always love them. Oh, uh, I do. That's you? Yeah. They're very good. I have to say, I, this one was, I a, was a total uh, in, uh, Indiana Jones shooting the swordsman in the marketplace thing. Where, like, I got, like, because, you know, what will happen is they'll email me the day it's due, maybe, and say, oh, quick, you know, we need a, we need a disclaimer. Which is the editor's way of saying, hey, chump, you're the one who insists we put these in the book. <laughs> and they're really kind of pain in the butt to come through. And by and like, editor, like do you mean it's Jeremy saying this? Yeah, it's this? Jeremy. So yeah. they always dump it on me. So this one was just like, do I really need a disclaimer for this book? I don't think so. So I explained why you don't need one in a book with the Tomb of Horrors in it. So <laughs> nice. I'm, not, I'm not attaching a disclaimer to that adventure. You know what you're getting into, son. So. I know uh, uh, several people who, whenever they get a new 5th uh, edition book, that's the first thing they do is, is read I, the disclaimer. I do. I love them. Yeah, people really like them. Do we want to spoil this one or do we want to make people buy the book? No, go for it. All right, so I'll try to... My best reading voice. (laughs) Disclaimer. Do we really need a disclaimer to tell you that it's not our fault that your character died because you decided to climb down into a monster and trap-filled hole in the ground? End of disclaimer. That's it. But we do. We do need one. And that was random. That was something that's kind of in the spirit of the TSR of the 80s. Yeah. You know, they throw little in-jokes or, like, you know, the, the, the cartoons in the first edition DMG. Yeah. When we were working on the core rule books, I just sort of you – know, I try not to play the but I'm in charge card. But this one, one where I was just like, <laughs> I want to put disclaimers in the book because I'm in charge and we're going to. Well, and so. most of our – Publishing, as far as the adventures, uh, how they're presented, is is devoid of humor in a way. Like it's kind of like this is how it is. You know, yeah. sometimes there might be funny in, in the read aloud text or something like that. But that's a nice way to infect that back into the the, yeah. the, the theme of the of the rules. Just a little Easter egg. Yeah. I love putting Easter eggs into the books. Yeah. So the uh, is there more in here? Not so much. We did try not to change things. Um, well, the two before, I, was, I will say that a lot of the jokes from Gary Gygax are, are there still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We preserve all that. So I don't want to go messing around with existing adventures to add my, my lame jokes. <laughs> but, but I did. Dad jokes. Yeah, my dad jokes. But yeah. I did make sure that in the intro, when we wrote about, talked about the yawning portals, the inn, that we had a sidebar about Greyhawk, the Green Dragon Inn, my favorite setting. So I had to put that in there. And then there's a couple references if you look through the – oh, so this is probably the, the favorite thing, my favorite part of the book because I did write this thing. Um, there's a table on page seven, Denizens of the Yawning Portal, and result number nine is – you know, th- this, these are people you can meet in the Yawning Portal. Number nine says, a, a magically preserved corpse in a coffin leaning against mm-hmm. the bar. If asked about it, Durnan says, he's waiting for someone and nothing more. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's a, it was it was a uh, hot black Distachio from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Was that his name? That was kind of a callback to that. Remember, he was he was dead for tax purposes oh, at the restaurant at the end of the universe. I forgot about that. D- detail. Yeah, he's dead. He's like in a coffin at the table. Like, oh. He's dead. He'll be dead for three more years for tax purposes. Or that's like that. that's a good reference. So yeah, so yeah. I threw that in there. That is nice. Yeah. Well, these are good. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, that that whole framing device, the yawning portal kind of framing device? Yeah. So we were th- really where it came from was uh, we were desperate for a title. <laughs> right. A lot of people, like a lot of the game designers, will say, "Well, I, I went, I retreated to my mountain home, my mountain fastness, where I create brilliant ideas and carry them down to share them with you mortals." No, I'm not like that at all. We literally we needed a title, and we had like three days, and the Big Book of Dungeons was not cutting it as an acceptable title. That was your for- front runner, right? That was yeah. That's like easy, right? Like <laughs> How the, you about know, Mike Merle's Big Book of Dungeons. That was number two. Adventure but we can't, we can't copyright my name, unfortunately. Uh. So. <laughs> So I'm told, like, look, that title's aggressively lame, so do not try to call it the Big Book of Dungeons. That's just terrible. It's very unimaginative. So we, uh, I locked all the writers in a room, you know, literally a, a writer's room, which I was just, it's a room full of writers, right, and you make them be creative. And we were just casting about for, like, okay, we can't call it the Big Book of Dungeons. We need something actually creative and interesting, not boring and dumb. <sighs> yeah, it's freaking ridiculous, right? That's I mean, come on, out come on. 99% of your ideas. Jeez, yeah, man, what the heck? <laughs> I don't have this mountain retreat I can go to and find great ideas and bring it back down <laughs> to the you plebeians. So I'm stuck actually trying to think. Uh, and so we kind of thought, one of the things that occurred to us was like, look, th- this, it's such a stereotype in D&D that you meet in a tavern to go on a quest. And these adventures are like the classic, like they're the most meeting in a tavern to go on a quest of all meeting in a tavern to go on a quest adventures, right? Mm-hmm. They're literally like dungeons you just go to and beat up monsters and grab treasure, right? right. So we thought, well, what's the most iconic tavern in all of Dungeons and Dragons and that was the awning portal so then we just got this idea you know like as we oh yeah, yeah, yeah uh, you have Durnan and he's really old he's kind of mysterious like yeah he probably would have heard stories of these For even sure. dungeons on, on other worlds and so that all kind of came together so I, you know, we just had this vision and I love the cover because it captures this perfectly that well first also because Durnan originally he was going to look a lot like Lemmy but we decided from, from really Motorhead. yeah Aww. he's got we, a little Lemmy he's got a little Lemmy as a tribute go out. Well, it's because he fit. He's like this like angry old geezer, right? Yeah. Who just doesn't want to deal with you, right? So, the um, so yeah, we had this idea that if he ever kind of loosened up and felt like being civil to somebody, like he might tell you a story about the Tomb of Horrors, right? Because right. you know he's hundreds of years old and he's been all over, and no one knows where he's traveled. And so, so yeah, and I really like the vision. And I've actually inspired by I ran an adventure last year that started in the Yawning Portal, and I just love the feel of it. You, know, you have this dungeon, the you know, the Undermountain's right below your feet. And you can imagine all the people who would go to a tavern that's right outside of a, a giant dungeon full of you know, deadly monsters. That's an interesting clientele. Yeah. And so kind of like that's kind of like our 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 Tatooine cantina, mm. you know, like this is kind of where rough and tumble people gather to do rough and tumble business. Yeah. So so yeah, it really kind of took off, and it, and it just as soon as you know someone you know we piped up with the idea, it just stuck. You know, it, it just felt like it, it fit. The we we're a little worried it would make people think that it's a book on Undermountain. Um, so I was like, eh, we're a little concerned, but I try not to like make creative decisions based on, well, we're afraid of this happening more like, what's the upside? The upside is kind of get this idea out there. People to wrap their head around, oh, this is like the adventurers tavern of adventurers yeah. taverns. Yeah. So, and it seems to have worked like a few, you know, we had a little bit when it first got announced, oh, is it about Undermountain? But it, that seems to have abated pretty it's quickly. It's not. It's not about yeah. Undermountain. That is correct. Undermountain's in a tricky space right now because Halasters showed back up last year and Undermountain has been running around doing who knows what, so. Someone needs to get down there. Yeah, we've been sending people down. They haven't been coming back. So it's been a little bit, it's hard to write a source book on some place where you can't no, get well, any good they intel. They need their fearless leader to go yeah, down. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, what's yeah, next. Yeah. Yeah. Dirt. <laughs> 
Durnan. Durnan? I've heard Durnan and I've heard Durnan. You know who else he reminds me of? Take a look. It's in a book. Matt Sarnett. Do you oh, see a little, a little bit? See a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. See, I looked at He's that and I... like the lore guy. I actually <laughs> saw Liam O'Brien from uh, Critical Role in there. So really? much so that I actually asked him. I was like, we were thinking about ways to promote this, and I love this cover as well. So I was like, Liam, why don't can we do like a, some videos of you being uh, Dernan and telling the stories of the tales from the Yawning Portal? And we we, uh, we it didn't come together, but he was he was really excited, and he actually started growing the chops. Oh, nice, really? yeah. So uh, uh, you know, the, uh, watchers of Critical Role, if you're wondering why he had a beard for a while, it was it was my fault. Aww. I'm sorry. Should have done that. You should still do that. Cosplay. Well, maybe we will. Another great maybe we will. Down idea. There, out there, uh, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. I just loved the idea that there was like you know he's telling the stories. Yeah. And like you know the adventures are the stories, but you know we don't actually hear Haven talk. Yeah. In the book, so why don't we you know dramatize that? It'd be a nice way to get it. Why don't there. we well, make these beer steins too on the cover? Oh, well, we don't, should. We do, don't we? There are there is a yawning portal beer stein that we gave away a few years ago. It's, it's not it's, that exact design. Class. Yeah, oh yeah. Class. Nathan has it in his office. We okay. the, the ceramic cool. one. Oh, I want oh okay. Yeah, I remember want those? No, yeah, I don't I think I do. get one. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we should make them again. We should make them again. Well, and I, th- I don't think this is the last we're going to hear of Dernan. So. Really? No, I think he might be, uh, he's got a lot of tales to tell. So Yeah. Is he going to get in trouble for telling these tales? Is he it might. like a magician telling his secrets? <laughs> he might. He knows a lot of powerful people who might not be happy with him blabbing, but... Yeah. He probably the Joe, doesn't the Joe Bluth names. of the world yeah. is going <laughs> to come down on him. <laughs> 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 yeah, and well, and some people were. I mean, just going back to what you're talking about, how there was the different worlds. Like a lot of some people were like, "Oh, is this Forgotten Realms? Is this Greyhawk? What's how can you mix those up?" Uh, and I think the the device of being the Yawning Portal would be the one place where you would hear those stories from oh, the yeah. worlds, right? And it kind of uh, uh, follows on the D and D multiverse idea. Oh yeah, no, it, it's all D and D, right? We don't we don't see any world that's shut down or anything like that. It's just right now we're just focusing on the realms because there's a lot of stories to tell, and there's a lot of building we want to do here. And it's, it's the most popular setting, so it's an easy starting point. And because nobody will let you do Greyhawk yet? Not yet. Well, that's just the thing. It's like, yeah, no. you got to play the I'm in charge card. I yeah, invented this game. <laughs> so says my mom. The, uh, no, but it's, it, it, part of it is uh, if you do it, you want to do it right. I have to admit, at one point, I wanted to just throw a Greyhawk book in the schedule and just say, come higher or high water, we're doing this, right? But I'm like, that's like, as a fan, like, I want to be able to get up like on a podcast like this or talk to people and say, we did it because we had a great idea, and it was going to be a really great way to relaunch the setting in a way that's inspiring. Not, well, we did it because I convinced someone to let me just throw money <laughs> at really it. Because I really want to do it. Yeah, because I think when you look at the past, I, you know, when D&D has supported a lot of settings, I think it's at its best when each setting comes on board and brings in new players. Right? We don't want to just sell five worlds to each player, right? Just, hey, here's a bunch of campaigns. Just stack them on top of each other. I really want them to have a very distinct flavor. You know, it's almost like uh, when you log into, like, uh, I'll use, like, Blizzard's example. You log mm-hmm. into Battle.net, and you, you can play Diablo, or you can play World of Warcraft, or you can play Hearthstone. Like, each of these games feels very different. And obviously, we're talking about a tabletop role-playing game, so you can't make them, like, one's a really, you know, Twitch-heavy click loot, loot gather, and this other one's an MMO. Like, you can't, you can't go that far. But what you can do is say, well, why do people play role-playing games? What's interesting about them? And how can you make almost each setting feel like a different genre? where it's still huh. fantasy adventure, but each one brings a really distinct flavor to the table. So you don't have people asking questions, well, what's, what's the difference? You know, no one's asking what's the difference between the realms and Greyhawk. It's more self-evident. You know? And so that, to me, is like an interesting design challenge because then you don't want to change it so much that people who like the original setting right. 
think, ah, oh, you just need whatever. Why is this Greyhawk? You just completely changed everything and for no apparent reason. Right. Ideally, it's when people look at it and they realize, oh, you've taken the things that make it distinct and you put them front and center and really turned the volume up on those and made the setting feel more like it's ever felt. Okay, I like so. that. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, but it's it's not easy to do, unfortunately. So <laughs> so we're, we've been working away steadily. There's a lot. We've talked a lot more about the settings than I think people suspect. Yeah, you know, in the outside world. And us being in the office, hearing all the conversations. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really interesting what's happening. Yeah. Weird conversations. Weird we conversations so about weird horses <laughs> and, and how we can get back at Shelly all yeah. the time. That's, no. that's amazing. You know, I can hear about. you guys yeah. when you talk. And about turtles. That. Apparently, there's a big thing about turtles. Someone was trying to put turtles in a book, and I had to shut that down. A turtle? Where, where did turtles first appear? Because I, I that's turtle. They showed up in Mistara. I oh. forget which adventure. I'm, I'm now going to so. I'm going to push my glasses up my nose. I think <laughs> the uh, I think they were either in. Uh, X8, 7 or 8, the Wild Coast. Or they may have been in, um, shoot, I think it was the Wild Coast is where they first showed up. I know it wasn't the Isle of Dread, but they showed up also in Red Steel. So turtles are turtle people. And uh, for some, no, I know exactly why. People are, are in the office are obsessing over adding them to the game because they know I don't like them. Oh, <laughs> and I like admit, coaddles. Yeah. Well, I like coaddles. That's right? his voice. He does but, the coaddles. But I actually, I actually, the truth is I actually don't mind the turtle. I just, I like playing. It's the, good to have a The nemesis. rival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to have a nemesis. But, but part of it also is a matter of just fairness. So when we did Volo's Guide to Monsters, we put together a list of monsters in the book in a very, mm-hmm. like, proper consumer insights, data-driven way. But then I told everyone working in the book, you get to put in one monster. You just get to pick. No one can say no to it. Oh, no. My monster had to get cut. I took one for the team. I said, as the captain of the team, like, because of oh. the, oh, I can't fit. So rather than take anything else out, everything else had been perfectly vetted and was there. Then everyone else got their selection. I'm like, I'm going to forego my selection. Wow. But now that we're like looking, well, what what's the next wave of monsters we want to add to oh, the so game? Oh, so we can't. At you some get two, right? Yeah. Did, I get three. Nice. I'll give myself three. <laughs> Did any, no one picked a turtle. No, but now everyone's like, oh, we should do turtles. We want to do turtles. Turtles are so Is cool. a turtle a, a tortoise turtle? What is it? No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a turtle person. Picture, a picture. Oh, like a ninja turtle? Yes. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. And probably inspired ninja turtles? Yeah. Oh, they're kind of badass. Yeah. I'm kind of into them now. Yeah. Unfortunately, because they're not getting in the game ever. Well, I, I might have to support. They're never the going to be in D and I'm actually going to put in the next supplement that they're all dead. Wait. It's going to be an important plot point. All the to- all the turtles, like so, it'll be you're in a tavern. The adventure starts, and the, a, a courier comes running in, and he's like, <laughs> "Here's the big adventure hook for our next adventure, which I'm not going to spoil because I know it, but I don't want to get in trouble." And then he'll say, "Oh, and by the way, do you guys also hear that all the turtles just die? <laughs> That's horrible. They're gone." Do you- no they one were, will care because the adventure will start. Can we but. just talk about maybe a tortoise turtle? Because that's like, what it sounds so like. So here's what I'd like to do. Picture cent- picture centaur 2.0. A centaur for the 21st century. A- I'm seeing A-Rod now. Yeah, Upper A-Rod, body, of course. <laughs> a man's torso attached to a turtle's body. Oh, God. That's sounds- <laughs> Isn't that is this hideous? The, is this the monster that you're putting in? And and that's that's the new turtle, Turtle yeah. 2.0. Isn't that hideous? Turtle now, 2.0. This is, uh, no one will want them. See, I'll put oh them in, in the game, but in the most horrible way imaginable. Does it lay eggs or are they live birth? What's grosser? Oh. What's worse? Both. Yeah, both. <laughs> like a baby comes out holding an egg? Yeah, it comes out holding an egg. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which it's, the hatches into its lower body? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Oh. <laughs> but no, so I, 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 I have to play the curmudgeon sometimes. Like, no, no nice. turtles. That's too much fun. I don't want Danny to be fun. I want Danny to be very serious. Well, let me write this really funny disclaimer. Yeah, oh. I, know. I was going to say, you should put, it, you should put, put that disclaimer. in the disclaimer that, you know, all the turtles were harmed yeah. when I was making this Every turtle is gone. If, you are, if you're a supporter of turtles, people, please tweet. They're endangered. They're in danger in, 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 in <laughs> Only if you all get together and clap your hands really loud, the turtle <laughs> the will get his wings. Back. The turtle's coming back. So real quick, what was, the, what was the monster that you wanted to have in Volos that didn't get in? Oh, um, there's a, so I am notorious for loving norkers. Norkers Norker. are this, they're, they're just they're goblins with like really heavy, thick skin. Hmm. And I don't know why. I'm just, I, oh, I know why. Because there's, there's an adventure, WG4, the Forgotten Temple of Thorisden. That had norkers all over it. <laughs> it was lousy with norkers. Now the trick was, <laughs> the you needed the fiend folio from AD and D to know what a norker was, which I did not own because I lived in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, and it's not like we had a game store. No. Who knew what that was? So norker, I had no idea what a norker was. I just pictured like a weird like pig guy, and they had really like great armor classes, like they're wearing plate mail. So I pictured like this armored pig guy hmm. running around. That's what a norker was. And then when I finally got the Fiend Folio, like Armored Pig Guy was probably actually an upgrade of what they actually look like. <laughs> mm. So, yeah. So I don't know why. I have this weird obsession with them, right? Because that part adventure. part of your childhood. Yeah. I just always was like, What's an, what does a Norker look like? This is back in the day. Like, we didn't have art for all the monsters in the game. Yeah. Right? And you'd buy an adventure and be just like, well, you know, here's the monster. Hope you have Fiend Folio or Monster Manual 2 because <laughs> that's where its stats are. Good luck, kid. Like, <laughs> so you just you have to try to figure what the hell is this thing, right? Mm. And right. why are there so many of them? That's cool. We, uh, they don't know how lucky they are. Just going to say. Right. It's we so have, easy. We have art for them now. You have art for them. <laughs> you don't have to use your imaginations at all. <laughs> we'll so tell the, you everything. The other one is the Thule. The mm. Thule is like, it's like a hobgoblin crossed with a troll, crossed with, mm. the, crossed with a ghoul. It's completely Ooh. weird and strange. And so it means like, fun. like oh, how would you explain that? How would you make sense of this weird misbegotten creature. Yeah, because so. it's undead, but has kind of, yeah. some goblin. Yeah, yeah, that's very strange. Did so. anyone pick monsters that you were like, oh, just roll your eyes? <sighs> yes, God. of course, right? They had, they had to. Um, what about no, the, actually, was it the grung? Was it Chris Lindsay's no, grung? It, it's uh, funny. To be honest, actually, it didn't really, like, I don't really care. To me, it's like, I mean, as long as no one wants to put in something, like get a sued, like, okay, whatever, it's your choice. But the a grung. stormtrooper. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Darth Vader. I want to put him in the book. Yeah. You said I could. Too He's late. Barth. Barth yeah. Vader. <laughs> Barth Trader. <laughs> but the, uh, no, so the, um, I'm actually, all kidding aside, the tour, like, I don't, whatever people want, I'll just put in the game. It doesn't really bother me. But, yeah, people got mad about the grung. That was Chris Lindsay's monster. Yeah. And it was Who got funny. mad? Everyone. Like, like, like internally so or the, externally? Both. The reason <gasps> he had to, like, put the grung in is the, so Lindsay. the grung were on the list. And then I gave everyone a veto. Like, is there something here you just don't think we should do? And, like, all those vetoes piled up on the grung, Aww. which is really funny. And then, then Chris came in and said, no, I want the grung in the book. And, uh... And yeah, and so people still like, you know, you'll get people right. like reviewing Volos and be like, oh, then I got to like, why are there more frog people in D&D? We don't need frog people. Like, uh. What but do they got against frog people? I don't know. Like, what do I have against turtle people? Who knows? No. <laughs> what do you have against uh, Fury the horse? I yeah, just right? told you what I did. He tried to kill me. <laughs> Maybe Fury the horse was the hero we needed. Maybe. It's true. Maybe you can make a monster. Maybe he saved your life. Maybe there's someone trying to, like, shoot you, snipe you, and he was getting a duck. He probably should have stayed on the path and not went to where all the low-hanging branches were. Maybe that's where the trap was. Oh, no. He was saving your your life the whole time. You don't know. Hold on, senorita. (laughs) 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 You are going down. It's a a talking horse now. It's a talking horse. I did drink a lot of Coronas after that because the people we were with were like, we're on an island. Do you think you were 12? I was 12. (laughs) 
What the hell? This story just got way darker. Wait a second. So yeah, you sure your parents weren't? This is. I think your parents. Do you think maybe we were kidnapped? (laughs) Yeah, I think you were. Maybe I'm just remembering my parents saying, "Go off with these people." I think you were so drunk. Do you think somebody kidnapped us? That you forgot? Are you like something that like fury carried you to safety, and he had to like go through the underbrush? Like like, a police horse. Yeah, but you were crying maybe because of because I was like a drunk crier. (laughs) You were drunk. That is so. But that like was this was the Love you all. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah. No one cared back then, right? Yeah, especially when you were on an island. Yeah. There was right. like, there's well, no that's drinking even more. age here. That's like, like the, you know, the Running Man was basically. I mean, people looked at the Running Man, the movie, and thought, yeah, that's going to happen. My brother was 14. So right. That's well, even more so practice, now, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> it was so lawless back then. Like, child safety was like, is your kid alive right now? Yeah, I mean, he's safe. I mean, I think. You know, he's I eating don't have any paint, way of getting you know, a hold of yeah, yeah, right? Who knows where they are? <laughs> I said come back when the streetlights came on. Yeah, right? I mean, your parents' attitude back then was, well, if something happens to my kid, it'll probably eventually be on the nightly news. So I'll just watch some more TV. <laughs> yeah. Right? They had no way of getting in touch with you. How would they find you? You didn't have email. If they, if, and if you didn't, weren't there, you didn't pick up, how'd they leave you a message? They didn't. They, they didn't. sent you a they letter. Didn't. Right. Right? And like two weeks later, it'd arrive and it would be, you know, and everything took like months to ship. And That's what made Stranger Things so fascinating to watch because it was like, oh, yeah, I forgot how, you know, detached we were from technology as kids yeah, back right? then. And how we could just roam around our town and we knew the ins and outs of yep. our town on our bikes. Um, without helmets. Without helmets. Yeah. I do remember just like taking off on my bike on a summer day. I'm like, just go in. And I just, yeah. the feeling of complete freedom. But that yeah. wasn't terrifying. I was not scared. Yeah. No, I wasn't scared. I had, I took some I pretty nasty it. spills on my bike. I didn't yeah. And now like, oh, I get to wear a helmet. I have to, I'm an adult and they make me wear a helmet when I do. That's why I don't ride a bike anymore. Not that I ever ride a bike. Well, I ain't wearing no helmet, man. What? what? I don't want to wear a helmet. You look really cool why? when you wear a helmet. That's why. No, you don't. I, I would wear like a helmet no one all day. Yeah. I would wear a helmet driving if that wasn't. <laughs> I would just, I'm, like, I'm a oh, safety that's girl. What you, that's what you have on your head. <laughs> yeah. When you're Did you ever see Flight of the Concords? They had the yeah. bike helmet that looked like hair. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my hair. It's, it's my helmet hair. <laughs> <laughs> they had some good ideas. Well, thanks for coming uh, into our uh, little podcast crazy yeah. room. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. We got to have you here more often and talk yeah. more. Yeah, I wanted it's to so explain. hard to you and know, it's, get a hold of you. It's funny because I'm always on the edge of like giving a spoiler for a future thing too. I thought, oh, I'm we not actually to. at work. Like I have to pretend there's like thousands, tens of thousands of people like listening. We can in. Cut exactly. It. You're on the edge of glory. Yeah, right. But we want yeah. to talk more about uh, uh, Unearthed Arcana and all the stuff you've been doing. Oh yeah, we all really fun yeah. stuff. We should actually, yeah, we should definitely do something on the process we're going through and, and yeah. improving that stuff, winnowing it down and all that and the playtesting. It's been pretty fun. Exactly. Okay. Well, we'll have you on again soon. Sounds great. And then we'll get to have you on to talk about something else that we can't talk about yet. Oh, yeah. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be so cool. Oh, my God. Squeeze. <laughs> There's a lot of that. All right. Well, cool. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for uh, uh, talking to us about the Tales from the Yawning Portal, and we'll have you on soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks. Look forward to coming on again. Yeah. Awesome. Bye. Bye. I love talking to Mike, even though he's an evil, evil person. Even though we don't really like him. But I think we hid that well, right? I know, right? We weren't talking about you that at all. You would probably think we liked him a lot. I know. Coming from the Northeast, he feels like he's got that uh, Patriots, uh, you know, kind of mentality. People yeah, love to hate on the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not Love really to hate on a turtle. Love to hate on turtles. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar. You know what I noticed about Merle's is he can talk about D&D and, like, say the nerdiest things. But it sounds cool. Yeah. Like he's just, he's very articulate and he's, you know, would you ever see him present or be on a panel or something? It's like. Yeah. And he, he made is. the joke about like, you know, being the nerd and pushing up but his But it doesn't sound nerdy like, when he talks about it. Right. Like it's, when you talk about it, it's totally oh, nerdy. Everybody shuts off. They're oh like, my God. Oh God like, stop like, talking. Oh. <laughs> That's what Aaron does. <laughs> when I'm like, I'm trying to tell her about like some movie or some D&D thing. She's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. 
points uh-huh. there. And then meanwhile, Edna's like, tell me more, Daddy. Oh, and then she's drawing beautiful pictures. Exactly. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. So uh, Tales of the Only Portal is out now. Go check it out. Uh, go check out um, dndbeyond.com. Yes. You can check out the beta of uh, the spells, magic items, monsters compendium is up there as well. The character builder and tracker should be uh, coming out soon, if it's not already, uh, at least in beta form. The launch cool. will be coming in a few months. Okay. What do you think about that, Shelley? I think I can wait a few months. Sweet. I like it. And I also want you to check out Dragon Plus when it comes out. Yeah. Uh, April 24th is when Bart is aiming for it to happen. That's not when Tales of the Awning Portal comes out. No. Nope. <laughs> That's what I said many times nope. a couple episodes ago. You'll have had uh, it for a month by then. Exactly. And you'd be playing through all of these and killing all of your characters if you're doing the Tomb of Horrors. I right. do like the idea of coming prepared with two characters. It's smart. Yes. Especially. It's very smart. And, and honestly, that's, I think we didn't touch on that in the thing, but like that's the way it was designed that you would have henchmen and, and, and people that you would be like, and okay. A secret twin that you didn't know about. Exactly. That looks just like you and has all of your stats. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter. Uh, you can also check out all the latest D&D going on uh, also on Twitter at wizards underscore DND. Um, or is that Watsi? Watsi underscore D&D? I always get those wrong. I think it's Wizards on Twitter. I think you might be right. Uh, so go uh, follow those if you're not already. Um, and, of course, DungeonsandDragons.com has all of the latest information for everything that's coming out for the D and the Ds. Crazy. What about you, Shelly? You can follow me on Twitter at Shelly Moo. And, uh, and uh, go to AvalonHill.com. Yeah. And see what's happening there. Just go there. There's some stuff. Find us on Facebook, too. Sweet. And Twitter. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, I'm here's hoping uh, that uh, uh, Fury doesn't oh. find you. <laughs> Adios, senorita! <laughs> <laughs> Hasta luego! Hasta luego! Fury! <laughs> oh.